friends, family, strangers, people that are celebrants and people that even aren't. It is the Celebrant Talk Show with Josh Withers and Sarah Ed. Hello, Sarah. Hello, everyone. Nice to chat again. Always good. This has been far too long. One of us has been away. Yeah. We all know who that is because we know that. (laughs) I think everyone knows how much I like to sit on the couch in my own house. So, therefore, everyone knows that you're the culprit whenever it means going away. Can I tell you a horror story just oh, to start please out? Please do. Please is, do. Is this, a, is this a safe place? Does anyone listen to this? <laughs> no. No. Good. <laughs> if anyone starts listening, delete this out. Sure. <laughs> I, uh, Monday. So we're recording this on um, Wednesday, the 28th of Feb. And on Monday, I had a ceremony. Um, I believe it's an area that Victorians call the Otways. And I don't know what that means. But do, when I say the Otways, do you yeah. know the Otways? Yeah. What is the Otways? I have no idea. Isn't it like a mountain range or something? I don't, I don't. If I knew, I'd know, but I don't know. True. <laughs> True. So I'm in the I'm in the Otways, um, a little town called Beach Forest. Uh, FYI, not a whole lot going on at Beach Forest. <laughs> like I, I I wanted to. Um, I had a couple that lived at Warrnambool, and they wanted to meet me while I was in Beach Forest. And I said, Yeah, I'll just meet you in town. Like assuming that there would pe- be a town. <laughs> There's like a pub and you walk into the pub and everyone there gives you the face and that face is WTF you're doing here, mate. You don't belong. You're <laughs> Who's not this one wanker? of us. This guy's just walked in with like chinos, a button up shirt and a wooden bow tie. Like what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> um, but that's a side story. So anyway, I had a ceremony um, in the Otways, a uh, little Redwood forest there, which is really cute. And, uh, and so to get, like if I've got this afternoon ceremony in Melbourne, outside of Melbourne, and this is about a two hour forty five drive from Melbourne Airport. I, I'll get the earliest flight into Melbourne so that I'm there early. And sometimes, as I'm, as as you've known, like maybe I'll catch up with someone or yourself. Or, mm-hmm. or but uh, but today the ceremony was well that day. Monday the ceremony is going to be at four pm. So I caught the six am flight out of the Gold Coast, which was delayed, which had to transit through Melbourne. So the, I started transit through Sydney. So the flight to Melbourne was also delayed. I get to Melbourne Airport. Avis has no cars, so I'm delayed oh, in Avis shit. and. And I'm freaking out. And the couple text messages me going, we're going to be like 5, 10, 15 minutes late. I'm like, guys, take your time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am flipping out. Because little old Josh here, who is always early, like I have never been late. I'm always, well, okay, there's one, I've had one mistake in my life. Yes. But, uh, but before this, I'm always on time. Um, I got to the ceremony five minutes early. Now, luckily, it was just this, it was elopement and everyone was in the same bus. And so it all worked out perfectly. But this is why I leave hours of buffer time because when everything goes pear-shaped, yeah. I still get there a few minutes early. That's the crazy. Yeah, I was did, I was so stressed because there you, was traffic did and you everything. Walk a car? Yeah. Yeah, oh, mate. <laughs> Honestly, um I just is just a tip for anyone who's flying into Melbourne. But until Avis Melbourne sorts their shit out, I'm not I'm not driving with Avis in Melbourne again. <laughs> just like this is completely celebrant related, so we'll tell or talk about it. Um Avis Melbourne has had a lot of cars stolen recently, and so oh. they've completely locked down all their systems. Um and it's really hard to hire a car from Avis. So I don't know. Like, I think I might start hiring from a company outside of the airport or something. Like, it's yeah. all just too much. It's all too hard. That sounds crazy. Yeah. Well, good job for getting through it. And this is why we are professionals, because we allow enough time to get there five minutes early, even when the shit hits the fan. Exactly. Exactly. Nice work. So, yeah, good to be in the podcast seat with you, Sarah. Absolutely. It's always, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Uh, I feel like there's so much we haven't talked about and so much we can catch up on, but I figure that'll just come out in the wash. And uh, do you want to start hitting through some follow-up? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, do you want to start with the first one, given it was uh, really for you? <laughs> <laughs> well, so all of the different birth, deaths and marriages online systems uh, have slowly been coming online for marriage equality. Victoria did it within seconds of um, marriage equality because being delivered. Victoria is the best. Yeah, that's why. Like, that's the you yeah, hang your hat on that. Like, not, not the fact you can't get a good fucking coffee in the whole city, but <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, uh, so Queensland came through. Um, God, when, when did that happen? Mid January? Yeah. Early? I don't yeah. know. Sometime January. And, uh, can I tell you, the, the, the Queensland birth, deaths and marriages online system actually schmicko. Like the New South Wales one's been around for a long time and I've never felt the need to use it, but the Queensland one kicking ass. Like yeah, it's so really? good. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm really in love with it. It's a really nice system. The only thing it doesn't do is it doesn't do the presentation certificate. Mm-hmm. So you still got to have a template for that. That's or, okay. The Victorian so, one doesn't do that either. Yeah. But, but that's the smallest thing. I, I, I can tell you the biggest thing with the Queensland one. Um, when I click register, like I've just registered a marriage today. Uh, so I do the marriage ceremony. I come home, I click register and I mail the paperwork in. It's going to be, it's going to be a digital process soon, but currently it's a physical process. But once they've registered the marriage, the couple get an email saying, Hey, do you want your marriage certificate? They go click yes. And they just pay the whatever it is with the credit card and it turns up in the mail because celebrant over here has already witnessed their, oh, mate, uh, their ID. That's awesome. I love so, it. Yeah, that's really that's good. That's very cool. Um, and, and how of course are they? It's now open. How, yeah, that's what I was about to say. How are they rolling it out to all celebrants in Queensland? Is it open slather now? Oh, by the by, the grace of God, apparently I'm not too sure. I saw an email the other day saying they're going to start rolling it out one by one. They're going to have sessions, and look, I am <laughs> so glad I'm not leading that because I couldn't imagine what it's like trying to roll out a no. online system to celebrants because um, they're all lovely people. But so, so, so Queensland's pro marriage equality as far as systems, but New South Wales. Not so much just yet. So much so, the BuzzFeed News, which is actually quite a legitimate news resource these days, they're not just there for funny lists <laughs> about that time when you were 19 or anything like that. They actually do real news. And Alice Workman, who's um, actually a really yeah. good reporter. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, she's she's a like legitimate, awesome reporter. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I have to go into bat, bat for BuzzFeed, but I say BuzzFeed and other friends are like, oh, BuzzFeed, they just do stupid lists. No, it's true. They're, but they're, they're legit now, totally. Yeah. Um, they've done an article with a headline, same-sex couples are filling out marriage forms by hand because the New South Wales government hasn't updated its website. <laughs> and they've got screenshots. They've got a letter there from uh, from a fellow celebrant, Alex Lawback. Um, and uh, I think Alex used to be a producer at Triple J. Is that right? I don't. Why would I know that? Well, I thought you knew celebrants. Well, I do know, and I am Facebook friends with Alex. Hi, Alex. Um, and I think that's because she listens to our podcast. You know, of course she does because she's awesome. Um, so, yeah, but that's cool. Um, now I'm currently Googling Alex Lobbock Triple J. As if, <laughs> as if you're going to yeah, find look, something. I don't know. As if I'm going to find something. Anyway, Alex has written a, um, a really a really well-written, informative um, and direct, which is sometimes what's needed in situations like this, uh, letter. Although, Alex, don't want to be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. Um, you missed a T in the last <laughs> sentence. It says, I would appreciate a response. Oh, this letter. Not, yeah. I'm the, it's okay. We all make mistakes. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. Dude, really? Okay. Um, but yeah, she's written. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know how to make friends and influence people. <laughs> hey? um, so Alex has written a really, honestly, it's a really good letter uh, highlighting this. Um, it, it's it's an inequity uh, to the 
to the New South Wales uh, Attorney General. Because honestly, I don't reckon the New South Wales Attorney General even knew that this was a thing. Probably not. Because, because I, I like, does the New South Wales Attorney General talk to celebrants? I, I, I doubt it, really. And because it's a BDM issue, it doesn't really fall under, well, not really, it just doesn't fall under the Commonwealth no. um, Attorney General. No. Because as I've talked about in earlier episodes, the Attorney General's office looks after the kind of inline and then the outline, like as in after the ceremony, yeah. is handled by the best death marriages, which is a state thing. So I reckon this is a little issue. They probably could have just fallen under the radar for quite some time. Yeah. But I reckon because Alex has put the fire under them, I could imagine this is going to happen in the next I would hope weeks. so. I, um, I mean, it's, you know, the New South Wales celebrants have been – um, quite lucky for a long time because they've had an, an online system that only Victoria and now Queensland also have that. Like other states don't have an online system at all. Um, and so they've got used to being able to use that tool. So the fact that it hasn't been updated is more of an annoyance than anything else. And, you know, New South Wales celebrants, you can always jump onto our shop and download yourself some lovely certificates to type into that are easier to work on than the Attorney General's Department ones. But having said that, the the excuses from that are coming out of New South Wales BDM about we're waiting for funding and it's a complex process to update the system, quite frankly, that sounds like a lot of rubbish to me um, when Victoria managed to do it within 24 hours. So, yeah. But anyway, watch this space. I sat in a seminar with the New South Wales BDM uh, a little while ago, and they made the comment that they'd been ready for marriage equality for some, some for some time. It was a generalised statement, not made only in regards to the online system, but in regards to the BDM themselves, that they'd been preparing because they they knew that if it didn't happen today, it'd happen soon, and so that's obviously something they would have to deal with. So they've been preparing for that. Uh, but the New South Wales BDM system has been plagued for some time, like $17.5 million, and it's still buggy. Like, uh, So I use a Mac, and I, I use uh, Apple Safari to access uh, Lifelink is the name of the system. And if I want to use it just for entering data, that's fine. I can use it to enter data. I can download PDFs. It works really well. But if I want to upload the marriage paperwork, so I've done the ceremony, signed it, scanned it in, and I want uploaded it. Because that's how you submit paperwork in New South Wales. You can do it completely digitally. Because all of my stuff happens on the iPad, their marriage certificates don't even hit a printer. It's beautiful. But if I want to upload that PDF, I need to... So I go to the upload. Um, it's called Add Document. I go to the Add Document page. And if you go to... Um, if you, you choose which document you want to upload, you choose it and you go Save, the Save button's grayed out. So in Safari, you can enable a Develop menu, which lies to the website about what computer oh, you're using. Oh, for heaven's sake. And so I have to enable uh, Internet Explorer 10 to oh. say, hey, Lifelink, I'm not actually using a Mac, actually using Internet Explorer 10. How weird is that? And then when it sees that, it goes, oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> you're okay then. You can have the save button back. Exactly. How crazy That's is that? Ridiculous. It's such a shitty system. And I think it goes to show that New South Wales has made their system available for sale and Victoria and Queensland both looked at it and said no. Well, no, my understanding is that um, Victoria bought the same software but not from New South Wales, from whoever the original developer was, and then changed it by like 80% anyway. 
so yeah, so they Victoria with the new system that's coming in the next few months, they clearly knew it was buggy as well. I think there's um quite an interesting point in Alex's letter, which has been a point that has come up in my networks as well, is that recently New South Wales BDM spent who knows how much money posting copies of their new commemorative certificates to every celebrant who's registered in New South Wales. I hate to think how much that cost. A, designing the new commemorative certificates in the first place. I don't know how many people actually get those because you get one on the day, so do you need another one? Um, and B, posting them to, what, 2,500 celebrants? That money I'm pretty sure could have updated the system and that would have been a more useful use of those resources. And not just every celebrant in New South Wales, every celebrant that was registered with the New South Wales Lifelink. So oh. I received one of those packages and uh, it was it was a thicker package. I remember when it turned up, I thought, oh, what's this? Like, oh, it's you know a how you get some mail? Yeah. yeah, it felt like a present. And I open it and it's just a, it's a plastic folder. One of those, um, I haven't price checked it. It feels like it's like a 4 or $5 um, kind mm -hmm. of uh, binder dealio from Officeworks filled with the new presentation certificates. And I opened it, I saw what it was, and I threw it out yeah. straight away. <laughs> so that plus postage, you're looking at 10 bucks a pop, you know, easily without even blinking. So I'm pretty sure that money could have been put towards updating the system and that the vast majority of celebrants would have been much happier about that. Anyway, watch this space if uh, – I'm sure because Josh is registered for, to use LifeLink, I'm sure that he will hear of updates before I do. So we will put any updates on the Facebook page and we'll talk about them again if and when something happens. Amen to that. Um, so moving on, our next follow-up item is about um, CRMs, uh, client relationship management systems. Now, we did. I talked about Tave in the last uh, podcast when we were talking about the client journey, and I don't really have a lot to add about the other uh, products because I don't use them. So, what would be really great is if any of our listeners use Seventeen Hats, Dubsado, or Studio Ninja. We'd love to have a review of the package from you that we can pop up on our Facebook page for our for our listeners to have a look at and even on our website, even if you want to record it into your voice memos and send it to us and we'll actually play it in the podcast. Uh, that would be super cool. I went and had a look at Studio Ninja. My um, trial is running out today. And uh, it's a system, like I, I joined the Facebook group and it's a system that is still under development. Now, the guys there have actually put so much work into it. Uh, I remember looking at it maybe you know, two years ago and they've done so much work since then to now. But even in the Facebook comments today, I see that they're actively working on so much stuff, which is good. That's so good. But I I don't want to submit my daily business stresses to that development cycle uh, because I'm running a real business here. And also, celebrants for Studio Ninja aren't the core demographic of user. They're, um, they're for photographers. Well, but to be honest... Celebrants aren't the core demographic for any of these. Exactly, they're all developed for photographers. Um, and I suppose, uh, yes, I hear what you're saying about Studio Ninja still being in development, but all of these systems are still in development. They are, you know, a good system should be evolving and changing every every day. 
and I and Tave, which is what I use, things change literally on a daily basis. And it's stable enough for me to run my business quite happily through it and for it to give me a compl- an almost complete solution. But every now and again, they change something and I go, oh, I never even thought of that, but it's awesome and I love it. Uh, so I think that there's something good about things always developing. But yes, if you're at a point where it's not yet giving you a complete solution that's going to work for you, then that is worth looking at. I had a, had a coffee with a wedding planner, a local wedding planner this afternoon, and we were talking about assistance of her, and she asked about uh, about whether or not she should use um, uh, Studio Ninja for wedding planning. And so I, uh, I actually sat down, asked her about her processes, and I decided that I'm, I'm going to sit down and actually do a tutorial, and I might even make it one of our paid downloadable thingies on the um, on the website, uh, how to build a system without a system. So I'm going to do a little um, forms into a Todoist follow-up list uh, for her, and maybe that'll help other people. And honestly, like, I don't know how good it is. If it's, if it's amazing, then I might make it a paid one. Like, if you see that it costs money, like, Josh reckons this is spectacular. If you see it as a freebie, you're like, ah, you know what? <laughs> is it what I wrote? But, uh, because as much as like, there's some really cool systems out there, after I sat down and talked to, um, to, uh, to Kira from Byron Bay, where, um, ah, oh, Byron Bay Weddings, Creative Weddings, Byron Bay, uh, she, I looked at her needs and I thought, I don't think you need a system like that. You've just got a lot of things you need to do for each couple. And I reckon a really good to-do manager could actually get you over the line there. Yeah. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and that, as you know, we, we have talked about that previously. You don't need to use one of these these CRMs, you know, off the shelf. You can build your own system, though that's something that you've done very successfully uh, and it's definitely worth considering that whether you have the skills to do that yourself or whether you pay someone else to do it for you. Uh, it's definitely something that I considered doing it before I uh, bought into Tave. I spoke to a guy who basically builds electronic data collection forms for tradies and for other people who are out in the field uh, so that they're not like dealing with you know, lots of bits of paper that then have to go back to the office and be dealt with and that sort of thing. Um, and we looked at, at building a system, but the more I looked into Tabe, the more I was like, dude, this is actually just going to work for me. It's fine. Uh, so it's good to toss up both of those options, whether buying, getting something off the shelf is going to work for you or, or creating your own system. Yeah. So honestly, I think this is going to be an ongoing conversation over the thread of our whole celebrant life. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm uh, just for the record, I'm currently non-systemized. Like I have a system, but it's just, I don't have a, I'm not using Tarvay, 17 hats, Dubsido, Studio Ninja, uh, others. No, you have a, you have yeah, a Josh, have built, a Josh system. built system. So, um, so yeah, well, I'm assuming this is going to be a conversation that keeps on going on. And if you've ever got follow up, for the show, or if you'd like to ask questions, that email address, Sarah? Hello at celebrant.fm. So talking about questions, uh, you can always hit that email address and ask questions, um, as a uh, West Aussie celebrant has done right now. So she's written into the show and she has said, I am sorry to bother you, but I'm hoping you wouldn't mind providing me some advice on the wedding ceremonies you have conducted in Bali as I'm getting mixed messages from the Attorney General's office 
and the Consulate General of Indonesia. I have been asked to conduct a ceremony for friends in Bali in April. They are not wanting a legal ceremony in Bali. They're happy to lodge the paperwork and have their marriage recognised here in Australia. So it's basically going to be a commitment ceremony in Bali. However, I'm advised by the Consulate General that they do not recognise commitment ceremonies in Bali and that the couple must be married before they go to Bali and the ceremony needs to be a renewal of vows. The Attorney General's Department has advised me that I need to talk to the Consulate for advice. During my research, I noticed that Josh had some extensive information on his website about marrying in Bali and so assumed that you have conducted a few weddings over there. And I'm not charging a fee to do the wedding. It will be in kind, so I don't believe there's a requirement for a working permit. But can you advise if your couples who marry in Bali have had to be married before leaving Australia? If not, have you provided them with a certificate of commitment at the ceremony with any issues? And have you still been able to pronounce them husband and wife, although not legal? So there's a really easy answer to this question. And I will answer the question, but I'll start by just identifying a few facts around it. And, um, and Sarah, butt on in when you um, have something that's more intelligent or legal on my point. But uh, but <laughs> on Australian soil, um, Sarah, yourself and myself and, and other celebrants, we uh, we have an authority as a civil marriage celebrant. So if I, I, Josh Withers, start walking around the streets of the Gold Coast saying, hey, you two, you're married now, uh, that's um, – like it would have to be tried by a court, and I think nothing like this has ever gone before a court. But if I walked around and started calling people married, that would be quite dodgy. Dare I start calling it? Would you call that illegal? Like it's just, it's certainly not really allowed by the law. I can't just pronounce people married because I think so. Um, <laughs> it's, and I'm sure that there'd be elements of, I don't know, would, would they get me on fraud? Would they, I'm sure, like, I certainly, if it came up in my professional yes. review with the uh, Attorney General's office, I'm, You'd I'd be, be in trouble. trouble. Yeah. So I can't just walk around the streets of Australian streets calling people married. In the same way, if people in Australia stand in front of me and they haven't met the standard required for an Australian marriage, and if I call them married, and then that's also equally as dodgy. So, for example, if if one of the people is twelve years old, or if um if they're not consenting, if I haven't cited ID, all that kind of thing. There's if they're married to someone yeah, else, all of that kind of stuff. So, so when I say that you're married on Australian soil, that matters. The second I leave Australian soil, that authority that I have, and also the requirement on me to be. I don't know, intelligent or uh, law-abiding with that authority, goes. In America, well, actually, America is the, the only other example. Uh, if I go to Indonesia, if I go to Sweden, if I go somewhere else, I me saying people are married means nothing, um, and I'm bound to the local laws. Now, for example, if I go to New Zealand, and if I say people are married, that's actually illegal, because on New Zealand soil, a common person of New Zealand um, nationality or anything like that, they can't just say people are married because the Marriage Act there extends to all people on Australian New Zealand soil and uh, marriage celebrants and others are given the authority to say you're married. On Australian soil, Joe Blow can go, hey, you two are married, and it means nothing. And I'm pretty sure it wouldn't even be a case of fraud or illegality. Oh, no, it, it is. is. If, if Joe is. Blow... It's the same here. Yeah, yeah. It's the same here as in New Zealand. It's an offence for anyone to purport to conduct a marriage ceremony. 
That's an offence for anybody in Australia, the same as it is in okay, New Zealand. Okay, well, that's, that's an eye-opener. So anyway, so um, but when you go to Bali, you're just a, you're just a Joe Blow. And particularly if you're their celebrant back in Australia, um, it, it doesn't matter what you say in front of, particularly because it's, it's, it's an intimate setting. So let me tell you what I do with Balinese uh, weddings. Um, I do them a couple of times a year. I, on Australian soil, I conduct a bare, bare, um, bare bones, minimum. bare minimum, uh, legal marriage ceremony on Australian soil. I did, did one earlier this afternoon. Takes all of a minute. And the couple are married according to Australian law. Then in Bali, we're just a couple of kids saying things on a beach, having fun. They kiss, they exchange vows. I say some words. It's awesome. It doesn't, like what happens in Bali, no one needs to know about. The Consulate General of Indonesia doesn't need to know. The Attorney General's Office doesn't need to know about it. No one needs to know about it. We just have a little marriage ceremony and it's a celebration of their marriage. And you know what? Call it a commitment ceremony, but don't, don't, don't call it a commitment ceremony. Like, don't be a dick. <laughs> like, now, ladies. <laughs> you could call it a renewal of vows if oh, you want yeah, to. Yeah, you, you can, but, but don't. But you don't have no, to. Just, just don't. Like, you know, you don't have to. I see so many celebrants be so flipping awkward in moments like this. And they're, they're overseas. I'm like, now just so everyone knows this is an engagement or sorry, an engagement, a commitment ceremony. Um, and, and you, you just don't have to, like, you don't have to call it anything. No, remember that the laws in Australia, the laws of Australia don't, um, matter anymore once you get to Indonesia. Yeah. So the whole thing about if it's a commitment ceremony here, we have to tell everyone that it's not a legal ceremony. We don't have to worry about that because the Australian laws are not relevant overseas. Exactly. So to answer the question, um, in Bali, just don't tell anyone about Bali. Like, you, like just you go through, you, you, they don't even ask you if you're on a holiday. Like, you know how everyone has the thing, oh, do I tell them tell if I'm on business or whatnot? No. You get off the plane. You I did this last week. You get off the plane. You walk through the airport. You get to um, get to the counter where they want to see your passport. They don't speak English. You like with the guy I had didn't. Hand in your password. He looks at you. Looks at the password. You walk through. Fine. Done. Like just don't make it more complicated than you need it to be. At at the wedding in Bali, you just you just a Joe Blow saying a few words at, at someone's wedding and and what I tell my couples is like that date in Bali. That's your wedding anniversary. Like this legal stuff in Australia that holds great value, but not as much value as your vows and your words and your commitment. And if you want to simply simply um. If you want to simply simplify, I couldn't remember what simplify was. <laughs> if you want to simplify your life, the date that you got married in Australia is lovely, but don't don't have your legal anniversary, and just don't don't make your life more complicated. It doesn't have to be. Absolutely, I think it's also like it's worth sort of thinking about the Bali ceremony as though you're putting on a play. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're just a person. They're just some people. You're just acting out a ceremony. It's not legally binding. You can call these people whatever they want, especially if you marry them in Australia before they go to Bali. Of course you can call them husband and wife because they are. Um, that's totally fine. Even if you didn't, just it's Bali. It's true. Like just, it's a good point. You know, like I, just, <laughs> just, just say what you want over there. It's a very good point. You'll be totally fine. Don't overthink it, I think is the important thing. Yeah. Don't overthink it. So uh, Jacqueline has um, messaged in. She goes, I'm loving the podcast, actually studying at the moment. And while I'm usually pretty good, pretty good with words, I'm struggling with the scripting parts. And uh, I will often write something 
and then reread it. I need to, I need to sound like a broken Hallmark card. God, I know your feeling. Um, I'm guessing it becomes easier when you have a real life couple to work with and more information, but I'd love scripting tips slash advice for phrasing the couple's story. And this is where Josh taps out because that is not something that I do. So I would like to talk about this though, about why you don't do it, but let me first ask the question, uh, answer the question. So, uh, Jacqueline, I feel your pain. Um, it's taken me, you know, a while to get myself into a good rhythm with this. Uh, and it is definitely easier when you have a real life couple rather than the, uh, the fake people who are in the assessment booklet for your study. Uh, because those real people have real things to say and real emotions and it's much easier. So the way I write a couple's story is if they want their story told, because not every couple does, and that to me is their prerogative. Um, although I get sad when I don't get to tell their story because it's my favourite part of the ceremony, uh, they don't have to do it if they don't want to. If they choose to do it, I send them a questionnaire. The questionnaire's got about 20 questions. Um, there's some questions that they answer together, and they're kind of the facts and figures of the relationship. When did you meet? Uh, what you know? What's your anniversary? What are the dates of your relationship? You know, um, when did you move in together? If you did, when did you get engaged? Um, have you had any big holidays? Those sorts of things, uh, and it and the proposal story if there is one, and then there's a another set of questions that each of them answer individually, and they're things like, what was your first impression of this person? What do you adore about them? What drives you crazy about your partner? What are you looking forward to most about being married? Uh, give me five things that you really love about them, et cetera, et cetera. So once they answer those questions, and look, some couples give me like two-word answers to each question, and that is harder, but then they just get a shorter story because I don't like to make things up. I don't like to embellish. I like to use their own words and sentiments. So some people give me two words. Some people give me like five paragraphs for every question, which is awesome because there's so much gold in there. Once they give those to me, I have a real structure that I know this is going to sound awful, but the structure of the way I tell their story is exactly the same in every ceremony. Obviously the details and the wording and the sentiment is different because I'm using the couple's own words. So it starts off with, uh, you know, we know that a day like today doesn't just happen, so I'd like to spend a few moments reminding you how we got here. Uh, X and Y met, blah blah X's first impression was, Y's first impression was. Um, hopefully there's a joke in there, something funny about, you know, even though he thought she was pretty bossy, uh, he thought that she was so pretty that he'd give her another chance or something like that. That stuff comes out of the questionnaire. Then I move on to why they fell in love with each other. Uh, and there's often some, you know, like how, when they fell in love, why they fell in love, there's some, usually some goals. Sometimes it's three dates in and I just knew. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I was a bit slow. It took me six years, but I finally figured it out. Uh, you know, which is amazing. And that those sort of funny anecdotes always get a good laugh because the people who are there know that about this couple already. Uh, they know what they're like. So I move into why they fell in love. Then I move into if they've had any, you know, big holidays or big life events like children or buying a house or anything like that. I talk a little bit about those. 
Then I talk about the engagement. I love talking about the proposal story. I've heard some amazing proposal stories and I love them. And I so I stick that in. I talk about the proposal. Funnier the better is always awesome, but also gooey and romantic. Adorable. Love it. And then I talk about what each person thinks of the other. So bride, groom smiles the most when you blah, whatever his answer was. He loves it the way you look after him so well and cook his favorite dinner every night. It drives him a little bit crazy the way you always leave your um, your brush hairbrush out on the kitchen bathroom sink, but he puts up with it because he adores you so much. Uh, he loves you. He loves these five things about you, and he's really looking forward to whatever it is. Then the other way around, groom. Bride smiles the most when you, same thing. Just use those answers. And that's my formula. That is my formula. I I literally use each of those questions kind of in order of how they're written in the questionnaire. And I use as many of their own words as I can. And the reason for that is because they've already told me a lot of their story. And obviously sometimes I have to fix up the grammar and things like that. But when I use their own words, they write back and they go, gee, this is really us. (laughs) And I go, no shit, mate, because that's exactly what you wrote. So I find that really helps. Now, I know that uh, some celebrants prefer to ask their questions in person and write down the answers that people give you. I personally haven't found that to be very successful. I have found that couples don't give me as much gold when I put them on the spot. Uh, they sometimes they're a bit hesitant in their answers. They they might not want to seem silly, uh, you know, saying something out loud. I find when I give them the chance to write it down and to you know think about what they want to write for a few weeks, that I get amazing, incredible answers. And then of course, when I've got their answers written down in their own words, it's easier to use their own words because I can just type them straight in from the questionnaire. So that's how I write story. It takes me about 30 minutes to write a couple story, if that, because I have got it down to a bit of a fine art now. Um, obviously, the more information a couple gives me, the better because I have more to work with. But that's really the way it works for me. Now, Josh. Josh does not tell the couple story. And I would like to give Josh the opportunity to tell us why he doesn't do that. Because I'm crazy and I'm a rebel without a cause, <laughs> and I just like to cause hell. And the, um, no, that's probably not it. <laughs> probably not. No. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I feel really hesitant to have this conversation because I, 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 I don't. Want- that's what this podcast is for, though. Yeah, no. I know. I, I just don't want to offend people. And look, as as we've given the as we've given the um, disclaimer so many times. The way I do everything isn't the right way. It's not the only way. There's many ways of doing things. So if you do something differently to me, that doesn't make you a lesser person. And so onwards and onwards. And is that, do we all agree? We all in on that? Absolutely. Absolutely. All righty. Um, everything I say can and won't be held against me. <laughs> not at all. Okay. Not this time anyway. Um, I, so I really position myself very closely to people that want to have small, intimate ceremonies. Um, I really focus on the heavily meaningful ceremonies where the, the guest list isn't large. 
uh, the um, you know the second cousin from out of town isn't there, and the guys from work aren't there, and everyone that's there um, matters. Like, and so, and so I'm going somewhere with this. And then this is not a judgment on every other wedding and every other celebrant that does a wedding. <laughs> but I, that's where I really heavily position myself. And in that crowd, I'm making what is hopefully a very safe assumption that everyone there knows the story. And if they don't, it's they're the one or the two and, and it's, it's not, it's not as relevant to the ceremony as everything else that's happening. And so everything else that's happening is really good. Um, so I really heavily format my ceremony for, it's not about where we've been. It's about where we're going. And, and you know what? You can hear that and say back to me, well, you know what, Withers, you don't know where you've been if you don't know where you've gone. Like, cool. Everyone here knows where we've gone. And so I'll, I'll do a quick hook. Like I, I asked for their story. Like I know all of my couple stories. And I'll bring bring in a line or two or three. Um, for example, I married uh, uh, Stuart and Bianca on the weekend, and they're high school sweethearts. And they 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 met each other in high school um, because uh, Stuart um, liked Bianca, and his way of showing it was that he pushed Mark into Bianca. And <laughs> and, and I mentioned in the ceremony, I said Stuart did the tried and true method of telling a girl that he loved him by pushing Mark into her. <laughs> And, and, and that's, that was me saying the whole story. Like that's the element of their story. That was me saying it and I move on to the future. But then I also integrate little parts of it. Like I know that the Bianca's favorite part of, um, of the, of, of eating is dessert that every other part of the meal is stupid. That dessert's the only real part. <laughs> I think Bianca and I should be friends. You'd like Bianca. She's a good chick. Yeah, I'm totally up for that. <laughs> and so when I talked about the vows, I said the vows, they're like the dessert of the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and so so my ceremony is personal, but it's also, it's just, just little dribs and like just little subtle Simple things. Now, keep in mind, I was trying to drop a really subtle hint through the whole ceremony that Stuart and Bianca are pregnant and no one they knew. And so I mentioned three times, um, I think twice I mentioned parents, like, you know, husband and wife and parents, and no one even picked up on that. Um, and then, and then I think at the end, I said, um, uh, Stuart, Bianca and Junior, um, Condi uh, Tixira, <laughs> and no one picked up on it. So I wasn't at the reception, but the photographer, I talked to him the next day, he goes, yeah, no one knew. Like when they announced at the reception, everyone was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, which, which also plays into two other elements as to why I don't do a script and why I don't go heavy on the story. And those two elements are, one, people aren't listening as intently as we think. And, this leads into point number two, that I don't think the most important thing in a ceremony are the individual words and the script and the the um the the, the words. I don't think the words are the most important thing. Now the words are foundational to what I think is, is important, and what is important is this vibe and this feel. And and obviously you can't get the vibe and the feel without words. But I think it would be like if we're building a house, 
And if you and I did a podcast about house building and we talked about nails and screws and and pieces of wood all day long, I remember like, guys, this is a shit house podcast. <laughs> <laughs> because yes. there's more to a house than the screws and the nails. But can we agree there'd be no house if there was no screws and nails? Very true. Very true. Um, and so I think that sometimes some people in some parts of the world have put too much emphasis on script and not enough emphasis on vibe. Um, dare I say, it's the Marbo of the thing. Is that a reference? That's no one. No one's getting that reference. I'm gonna. I'm. You're gonna have it's to a, explain that. It's to a me. castle reference. Castle. Oh my God, Sarah! You've just outed yourself as like a really, you, as a really what? uncultured person. What are you talking about? Okay, so in the movie The Castle. In summing up, it, it's the Constitution. It's Marbo. It's justice. It's law, it's the vibe, and uh, no, that's it. It's the vibe. Oh God! Okay. Wow, you fine? Yeah. You need me to Continue. edit that out, or do you want everyone to know how uncultured you are? <laughs> that's fine. Okay? You can include that. It's on the totally record. Fine. It's on the record that it's Sarah record. doesn't. She doesn't know. She doesn't know castle. I've references. only seen the castle once. I will admit that. You need to carve some time out of your schedule, mate. I rest my case. That was sensational. <laughs> hey, look, I only saw The Princess Bride for the first time in 2015. So. I haven't seen that. I've only seen the YouTube clips about marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so back to the script side of things. I, um, I don't do a script uh, for a number of reasons. I'd actually like you to hang off on the script thing because we do actually have um, a – question that's a little bit about uh, public speaking and scripting. So if we can just talk about that again in a minute. But I just want to go back to the story oh, yeah. thing for just well, yeah. a second. I was going to kind of wrap well, – could I wrap that up? Oh, sure. Okay, yes. So, um, so the, the other reason that I don't go deep into the story is because I don't want to get it wrong. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm presenting on the day – like, everyone makes the comment that, oh, how long have you known them for? It sounds like you're a really good friend. I'm like, yeah, cool. I want that vibe to stay. I want everyone to think that I'm their best mate since high school. And I do that by screwing up as little as possible. And <laughs> you know you know how to not screw up someone's name? Like, like you, you know when you say, oh, hey, hey, Sarah, how you doing? You're like, oh, hey, Josh. I'm like, oh, that's Josh. You know how to not do that? <laughs> you just don't say their bloody don't name. Don't say it. Yeah. And... So, you know what? There's pr- probably plenty of other ways to not screw up someone's story, but you know the easiest way? You just don't say it. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I suppose my my way of not screwing up the story is sending them a draft after I've written it. Um, and we will actually talk about – I'd like to talk about drafts in a future episode because this is another area in which we differ. Um, but that's how I make sure that I, I don't screw up the story. I send it to them for review. Um, a little bit. We know that Josh doesn't tell story, and that other there are other celebrants out there who don't tell story either. Again, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Personally, um, as when I go to a wedding as a guest, that's my favorite bit. The story, I love it. I love it, especially. And look, Josh is talking about a different kind of wedding. He's talking about a wedding where everybody in the room does know the story. I often go to weddings where I don't know the story 
as a guest where I don't know the story. So I love to hear the story. It's awesome. It's my favorite bit. Uh, and I often, I, I will admit that I, when I deliver a ceremony that doesn't include a couple's story and doesn't include any personal vows and doesn't include any other personalization because they haven't wanted it, I do feel a bit empty sometimes because those personal things to me, whether it's vows or asking or story or what, or Josh's little tidbits, those are what makes a ceremony belong to that couple rather than just a generic one that you could take off the shelf. So that's my thing about story. Jacqueline, I promise it will get easier. It's just a matter of practice, 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 and developing a structure for yourself. Okay, so our next uh, question that came through on the feedback is from Andrea, and she says, one element of celebrating, is that even a word? Yes, it totally is, uh, that I feel is often overlooked is public speaking. Sidebar, this is what Josh is talking about with the vibe thing. Back to the note. You might think, why would you become a celebrant if you're not a confident public speaker? But when I started, I wasn't. I know I've improved immensely over the years. Throwing yourself in the deep end will do that. But I'd love to hear tips and tricks for getting the guests in the mood, how to engage the audience and the couple, how you warm up your voice, what to do with a tough crowd and all that type of thing. So my first thing to say about that is to go back to my sidebar, that this is exactly what Josh was just talking about. He was talking about how the words are less important than the vibe you create at the ceremony. Uh, and it's it really is true and that some people get caught on draft and they don't give enough uh, emphasis to their performance. When I did my training, the lady sitting in front of me said, I really don't like public speaking at all. And I said to her, why are you here? And she said, I'm really good at writing. And I went, and I thought to myself at the time, and it's been affirmed through all of my work that the writing bit, although it's probably the bit that actually takes us the most time, is really only about 25% of what we do. The vast majority of what's important is what we create on the day, what we turn up to and we, whether you want to say perform or create or whatever you, however you want to say it, what we create at the ceremony in that moment is the difference between uh a set of guests who are sitting there going, when is this ever going to end? And a set of guests going, that was the best ceremony I've ever been to. Um, this is the best part of the whole day. And that is about public speaking and performance and engaging with the audience. Now, I know celebrants who are exceptionally well-renowned and very successful celebrants who rehearse their scripts to buggery to the point where they almost know them off by heart. They'll go in the backyard or in their lounge room or wherever and they will rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And that to me is tip number one. If you're concerned about your performance at a ceremony, practice. Practice makes perfect. That's what we do. It, if you're not, if you feel weird about practicing it out loud, at least have read over your script, if you have a script, several times so that you know it inside out. So that you're very confident with the transitions and what's coming up next and uh, and all those sorts and the structure of your ceremony. 
in terms of getting guests in the mood and engaging the audience, I'm going to throw to you, Josh, because this is one of the things that you are pretty much known for. So I think it's important to understand that as look as much as we call it a performance, a marriage ceremony. Well, okay, a good marriage ceremony um, isn't so much us talking at people because it's that's not even a wedding statement. That's just a life statement. Like the best public speaking. So when you're speaking at people, when you're speaking with them, and that's that's an angle that if you if you if you can take that angle, then you're going to be so much more stronger because you realize that it's not your job to be a comedian or to be the best public speaker in the way where you're so well articulated and you you know how to say tomato not tomato. That was a joke, uh, but you can instead understand that your role is to create this environment where Jack and Jill, who are getting married, or Jill and Jill and Jack and Jack, or whoever it might be, um, that the environment they're getting married in is is a warm, welcoming, encouraging, loving atmosphere. So I see my biggest hurdle, my my hardest job, is uh, one that happens before the ceremony even begins. And that's have a chat to the crowd and say, "Hey guys, we're all in this together. If it's shit, it's your—I don't say if it's your fault, it's your fault. But if it's shit, it's your fault. Um, I want you to clap and cheer if something awesome happens. Like if someone walks down that aisle, make a noise. If I see a phone in, I'll kill you. <laughs> and I say things like this just to let them know that hey, we're all in this together. I'm one of you. I'm not some old bloke. I'm not a priest talking at you because that's what people are used to. They're used to going to a church and have been talked at for an hour and they're like, just end this soon. Like no one's listening in that church ceremony where they're being talked at for an hour in, in ways they don't understand. So uh, if you don't understand what that means and how that feels, I think you've got to attend a few ceremonies, whether that's getting in contact with a celebrant like Sarah or I and, and or someone else and say, hey, can I, can I come along and carry your PA for a day? Um, I know a couple of celebrants have done that. And, and honestly, like sometimes it's not that welcome. Like sometimes it's a, it's not a burden, but like, like, so, cause some days I'll just, I'll have meeting, 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 wedding, meeting, wedding, or something like that. You're like, some days it just doesn't work. But then on some days, and I'll be honest with you, I'll say, yeah, it would work this day. Um, and celebrants in Melbourne. And that's absolutely, that's incumbent on us as the, mentor, if that's the word, to say this is going to work on this day but not that day. And that's okay. And the person who who wants to come along to one of our ceremonies needs to know that it's not going to work on necessarily on the specific day that they're available. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because I think we all are well aware that we're all running businesses here and we've got complex lives. So so it doesn't hurt to um I honestly reach out, email me. I'll be honest. <laughs> and uh or, or Sarah or someone else and and not just one of us. Absolutely. I don't want you I don't want you to just come to my ceremony and go like, look at me, I'm now a I'm a duplicate of Josh Withers. Because that A won't succeed long and B um will bring you more pain than you ever imagined because you can't replicate me because I've got a 36 years of my life experiences behind me. So if you walk up to one of my ceremonies and go, I'm just going to copy paste that, it'll fall on its ass. But bring your own vibe, then maybe watch my vibe or, or, or I'm going to take me out of it. Watch someone's vibe and then watch someone else's vibe. And if you can get to a third, that's awesome. But don't, don't all, all of a sudden become a ceremony junkie where you go into 30 ceremonies, but just see, maybe you see what Josh does. And then you see how the crowd reacts to that. 
then maybe you see what someone else does, what someone else does, and you see how the crowd reacts to that. And you can understand that there's more than just the script here. There's there's um, the look on your face. Do you look welcoming? Uh, you know what? The PA system. Gosh, I could just talk for hours <laughs> about PA systems. Uh, I, I I went to uh, Port Douglas for a ceremony in the last, um, I forget when, but last year. And I was walking through the main park and the main street there. And for my ceremony, I didn't need a PA system because it was just the, the couple, a couple myself and a photographer. But there was a wedding going on. And the ceremony, the celebrant, sorry, had the PA system on the ground, on the grass, facing the audience. PAs don't work right. like that. And if you don't know how your PA works, find out. Ask me. Ask someone. It doesn't work like that. So I couldn't hear the ceremony. I was at the back, couldn't hear it. And that affects a vibe. Like, because if people can't hear it, you've lost them. Like, well, physically, like mathematically, you've lost them. <laughs> but also, they're, they're, they're just not involved. They won't in be it. paying attention. They'll be chatting to the person next to them. All of that is just messy. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know whether I really addressed anything there. Like, a, I don't know. You know me. You know me better. Could I speak about something else? Um. Well, so you've talked about uh, definitely that you engage the audience before even the bride walks the aisle. Uh, do you? What do you do with the tough crowd? Is another one that Andrew has asked us. Oh gosh, I know tough, tough crowds are tough. And, and you know what? Um, last year, I think it was last October, I had a crowd that I couldn't break. Uh, it was a, um, they were an Italian crowd expecting a Roman Catholic wedding and boy, did they not get that. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I came home, um, like Britt tells the story. I, I, I was a bit teary eyed. Like I'm like, it just really affected me because it was a steaming hot day in Brisbane and the couple were all in, the couple were loving it, but I just couldn't get the audience. I just couldn't get the crowd. And I found it really hard because I've got a number of little things that I say that let them know that, hey, guys, we're having fun here today. And the final one that I did that went nowhere. So um, everyone can steal this. This is yours to steal. It's fun. Uh, I'll often help the photographer get the crowd together for the group photo afterwards because I've already got the PA system up and I've got a microphone and I'm a good public speaker. So yeah, why not give it a shot? And so, uh, so after the, we've kissed and cuddled and I've had a chat to the photographer. So, Hey, do you want to get a group photo? I said, I'm not saying you have to, but if you want to get one, do you want to get one? And, um, Trent and Jesse say, yeah, I'd love to get one. And, uh, I said, cool. Tell me where you want the crowd. You take the couple over there and I'll get in control of the guests and tell them to go stand behind the couple. So they do that. And the couple start walking over and I have a chat to the crowd. So, Hey guys, we're going to get a group photo. Everyone come over and stand behind the couple. And, uh, and bunch in really close. And this is, so this is my little routine when I'm trying to get a crowd to, um, get together for a group photo. I said, uh, look, you want to get really, you want to bunch up really close to each other so you can identify each other's scents. Um, I want you to, uh, I want you to take your sunglasses off so that, um, everyone's sunglasses are off. Don't put them on your head, put them in your back pocket or something like that. And if you're not that good looking, just stuck down so you're not in the photo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that crowd didn't like that one, did they? No, they didn't Ew. like that. They didn't like anything I did. They didn't, they didn't like anything. And uh, I found it really hard. It, it really it really affected me how much they just didn't like anything I did. And I'm like, I wish I was never here. Like the couple were amazing. I love the couple. But they they just, honestly, because um, I'm not doing a performance. Like I'm having a chat with everyone. And it'd be like if I was on a date with someone or, heck, forget a date, just having a coffee with someone, and they were just giving me nothing back. 
So, so like I, I, I tell my couples, look, it's your ceremony quality isn't up to me. Like I've got a lot of influence over it. But if everyone at the ceremony doesn't give a shit, then there's not much I can do to turn that around. Absolutely. And look, I've got a perfect example of this. This Saturday just gone in Melbourne, it rained and it was very windy. And I had a wedding on the beach. And the couple were determined to get married on the beach. Absolutely. They were getting married on that beach, rain, hail or shine. And I went, okay. And at rehearsal the day before, I said to them, if it is raining when the wedding is on, I'm cutting the script. I'm I'm cutting out this reading. I'm cutting out that bit because nobody really cares. Um, those things are nice to have. But if we're getting wet, we want to hear your vows. We want to see you kiss. We want to have those lovely um, moments that create this marriage. But we're not going to prolong it for any longer than we need to. So the wind was... So it was so windy that when I put an umbrella up, it disintegrated. Like it, so it wasn't just, oh, we're getting married in the rain because everyone can bring an umbrella. Umbrellas didn't work because it was too windy. So I reckon maybe 50 of their 150 guests actually turned up to the ceremony because the reception was five hours later at a different venue. Uh, And every single one of those people was miserable. They were miserable because it was raining and it was windy and it wasn't particularly comfortable. The sand was, you know, hitting your legs really and stinging and the salt from the from the sea was like getting in people's eyes and it was really deeply unpleasant and that crowd gave me nothing, which was completely fair because quite frankly, I didn't have a lot to give them either. So sometimes there's nothing you can do. You're just not going to get them. You've just got to work through it make sure the couple say their vows and, you know, all those lovely things. Yes, they they gave them a round of applause when they said their personal vows and they oohed and ahed when they kissed and then we all ran for a shelter and that was fine. But sometimes you're just never going to get them and that's okay. Sometimes it's not about the other conditions. Sometimes crowds just aren't interested in being crowdy and fun and interesting. Sometimes they're just, they just want to sit there and be an audience. They don't want to get involved. They don't want to um, show any emotion. Sometimes crowds don't know that they're allowed to. So it's really important to give them permission up front. I always say before the bride comes down, I always say, we're here to celebrate. So if you want to uh, laugh at any time, please do. If you want to applaud, please do. Or when I tell you to, make sure you do as well. If you want to cry, bring it on, especially the groom. That's what I love to see. Give them permission up front because a lot of people you know, we still feel a bit anxious about showing any kind of emotion in public. So give them permission up front, but know that you're never going to get every crowd. You can do your best, but it's just not going to happen every time. The other thing I want to say about um, getting the guests in the mood is I attended a celebrant conference um, almost two years ago now, and the lovely Ben Carlisle, who's a Byron Bay celebrant, uh, showed us one of the things that he does towards the end of the ceremony. Um, about, you know, talking to the the guests about feeling the awesome in the space and grabbing some awesome and popping it in your pocket so you can take it out and look at it later. Now, when he does that, it's totally authentic and brilliant and works a bomb for him because that's who he is. If I tried to do it, I would lose the crowd straight away because it wouldn't be authentic for me. 
So I think that a lot of these things about getting the guests in the mood, engaging the audience and those sorts of things, there's a lot of trial and error because you have to figure out what works for you and what's authentic coming from you. And you can't copy that. It's like Josh said, don't come to one of my ceremonies and copy me because it's not going to work. You can't copy other people's stuff. You can give things a go that you see or you hear or whatever, but know that they might not work for you. I thought of um, two little things that I do before the ceremony that also help kind of well, – actually, so I've got three things to talk about. Um, and two I do before the ceremony, and one I do – like this is my hopeful – gift to the world. God, that sounds wanky. It's a thing I do. Um, so the two things I do before the ceremony is I uh, I have a chat to them all and say, hey, guys, what do you do when something good happens? Like, do you clap to your chair? Because this is good. I'm kind of hoping for this to be an awesome ceremony. And for it to be an awesome ceremony, we all need, we all need to recognize that something good is happening here. So when something good happens, like if someone walks down that aisle, someone makes out with someone, if someone, like, exchanges vows or you know, gets married. Can you guys get excited? And yeah. Uh, and then another version of that is uh, I'll often know if the groom is a, or, or whoever is a sports fan. Um, I, uh, I knew that a couple of married last year that she was a uh, rabid um, cow, um, North Queensland Cowboys NRL team, that she was a Cowboys fan and the groom was a Broncos fan. And, uh, and I also knew that most of their friends and family were split either way. And so I did a little, did a little routine, like, hey, um, anyone here, have they got a default reaction when the Cowboys win? Like, yeah. And they're like, can you do that in the ceremony? Like, can you be more excited that these guys are getting married than the Broncos winning? Because, you know, the Broncos win every second week. <laughs> and, and, like, so that's a little dig to everyone, the Cowboys fans. And so back and forth. And I just try to let everyone know that this is a place where you can be good and safe and awesome. But the third thing, um, and this is a big, long topic, but I'm – forever trying to encourage people to have more meaningful, more heartfelt, more genuine, more authentic, less perfect weddings. Because can I tell you where a crowd flounders is in when they don't know what to do? Like they don't know, like, am I allowed to do this here? Am I allowed to clap? Is it a, is it a clapping place? You know where that happens? In a, in a wedding, the, the expectations are so high and everyone's freaking out and they're all stressed because the bride's been freaking out about this and the groom's been freaking out about that. That wedding is not ever going to be fun because everyone's freaking out about how freaking out it should be. And it's everyone's trying to make it something, but you know, the most casual, oh, sorry, you know, the most comfortable, warm, embracing um, weddings where the, at me as a celebrant, I just shine is one where the expectations are low. We're just having a genuine, authentic celebration of the fact that these two people don't hate each other. And that, that just happens naturally. Everyone claps and cheers and has fun. And so if you scroll back through my Facebook and Insta, you'll see that thread through almost everything I post and you'll see those. I'll have those conversations with my couples. Um, and, and I'll tell them the story of how at my wedding, we had 45 guests and it was awesome because we could talk to everyone. I said, any, anyone more, any more probably would have been too much. And I, I'm trying to make wedding guest lists smaller. Read my latest column on white magazine. It's all about that. <laughs> so, I'm not just writing those things because I'm like, ah, I'm Josh. I'm here to ruin the wedding industry. I'm writing these things because that makes my job as a celebrant so much easier because the wedding has meaning and purpose and it's it's a really authentic celebration of the couple. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point about the expectation of perfection. And I think that's something that us as celebrants put on ourselves a little bit as well. And again, I suppose that's around the performance aspect too. So um, I... I like 
wander around during my ceremonies. I don't stay planted in one place. When the bride and groom have walked down the, sorry, the couple have walked down the aisle and they're in place and we're about to start the ceremony, I go around and stand in the middle of the aisle to check that they're like centered, uh, you know, and I have a little chat to them. I, I talk to them during the, the ceremony to make sure they're holding hands. You know, I, I, I'll have little one-liners that I go to the photographer, like, are they standing in the right place? Those things, if it was a performance, you wouldn't do any of those things because you kind of go, well, we've practiced this and this is where it's supposed to be, so it's all going to work. But in real life, it doesn't work like that. I had a wedding a couple of weeks ago with uh, one of my favorite uh, wedding duos, Something Borrowed duo. They were playing the music for the ceremony. And Adam said to me at the start, now you'll cue us, right, when you want us to play. And I'm like, dude, you know I always do. It's fine. He's like, I know, but we've just had a real run lately of celebrants who've been reluctant to cue us. Uh, he said he was working with a celebrant the week before who said, oh, I don't, I don't want to be obvious about it. And he said, just nod your head. And she said, oh, but then everybody will know, like, that's being obvious. And he kind of said, well, how are we, like he said to me, how are we supposed to know if you don't tell us when you want us to start? Because we take our cue from you. It's okay to be obvious about that stuff. We're not, we're not you know, being judged about our performance quality or about uh, anything like that. We're being judged about the the feeling and the vibe and what we've created. And if, you know, if it works for the band for you to give them a nod, give them a nod. Don't worry about it because that's going to make it better for everyone. Okay, rant hat off. <laughs> Just so you know, next time you talk about that, it's about the marbo of the thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. I've seen it once. Just once. Okay, um, now we have a bit of a legal question that came through and I know that Josh and I both uh, responded to this celebrant, so luckily she's not hasn't been waiting for four weeks for the response for her answer to be said in the podcast, but it's actually a really useful uh, thing. So we wanted to talk about it so that everybody knew. So, Josh, would you like to uh, read Elle's email to us? Yeah, so Elle's got a situation where uh, both grooms and biological dads have not been in their life since birth. And both mothers met someone a couple of years later who they now call dad. So uh, I don't know if this is the situation of those families, but people we would call stepfather. Um, so both have not been adopted by the new dad. So the fathers are not the adopted fathers, but they're just not just, but they're stepdads. For I tell you, This is what Elle said, but I'm just clarifying to everyone. Um, but one of the grooms did change his name to his mother's partner's name now this is something that my little brother did um both really didn't want to put the biological dad's details on the notice of intention to marry which i understand and am respectful of however am i right in saying that if the biological dad was on the birth certificate then this is who we must put in because they know who he is but they are unable to just put none under the father's details and with the name change for the groom do I just need the two ID documents, passport slash driver's license out of his current name on it as a birth certificate will have old name? So, Sarah, you answered this much better than okay, I did. Okay, so we have two separate issues here. The first one is about the fathers being listed on the notice of intended marriage and therefore on the official certificate of marriage. Because this celebrant saw the birth certificates and knew that the 
person or people that these grooms called dad was not their biological dad and was not the one listed on the birth certificate, she must put whatever's on the birth certificate on the notice of intended marriage. Because now that she's seen the birth certificate and she knows that that information is there, she can't unknow it. And if she accepts a noem with unknown written in the father field, she would be committing a crime, committing an offence against the Marriage Act. And from my vague recollection of um, OPD last year, it's somewhere around um, Section 101 or 2 or something. Hang on, hang on, Sarah. Do you just not be able to quote a section of the Marriage Act without (laughs) referencing it? What, are you having a long day, mate? You're having a bit of a tired day. Gosh, continue. Well, to to be fair, no, there there's nothing fair. Of, uh, this, sections is, this is your thing, and, <laughs> and, and the offences summary poster that I'm now opening up has it written on it, and I'm going to open it and tell you I, I was right. It's section 104. Um, so it's an offence under section 104 of the Act to give defective notice. Uh, so that means that if the couple gives uh, a notice of intended marriage that has information that they know is not correct on it, then they're committing an offence. And if the celebrant accepts that document, knowing that it's got in- incorrect information, they're committing an offence. The penalty for that is currently six months jail. So, uh, so if those grooms had come to her with their passports and said, don't know who dad is, then all she can do is put unknown on the noim because they haven't garnished her with any further information. They're committing an offence by giving her information that they know is defective, but she's not committing an offence as the celebrant because she doesn't know any better. All she has is the passport and their word to go on and they're signing it as a true declaration. So if you've seen a birth certificate or even if they've given you the passport but said, by the way, the person who's listed on my birth certificate, I don't want to list them. Bad luck. Now they've told you. You can't unknow that information and it's an offence to accept a norm under those circumstances. Did that make sense? Perfect sense. Okay, good. So issue number two is about the name change. So in order to legally change his name, depending on when he changed it, that groom would have either gone through a deed poll change of name or he would have changed it through birth, deaths and marriages change of name process. So I think deed poll kind of was phased out in the mid-90s or thereabouts. So either one of those processes, though, creates some documentation. So uh, if it was deed poll or if it was a change of name for a person who, for example, was born overseas, they would get a change of name certificate or a deed poll certificate, and they would give you that in conjunction with their birth certificate to prove that they changed their name and then the photo ID, passport or driver's licence. If they change their name in the state in which they were born, they actually get a new birth certificate because the BDM actually changes the birth registration. So they get a certificate that's got the new name on the front and on the back it's got summary of the changes and says that the name was changed um, on this date, bloody blah. So in order to put the groom's new name on the certificates, you need to see some kind of documentation about his change of name process. Uh, And if he's giving you a birth certificate, unless, but if he's just got a passport, that's fine because the passport will be in his new name. So it's fine. 
Did that That's make sense? That's good. Good. Okay, L. I mean, I know we already answered that, but hopefully that's useful. Yeah, yeah we, we answered L directly because it was a situation she was dealing with at that time. Uh, but, yeah, we thought a conversation like that was good for everyone to hear because it's like there's still some intricate parts of um, of the law that you're just weird. And it's really it's interesting because I emailed the Attorney General's Department about this, uh, about that not wanting to list the father thing last year because somebody asked me about it in, o- in OPD because obviously offences were part of OPD last year. And she said, I, I didn't have any way of getting the information about what the father's name was. She didn't show me the birth certificate. She just told me I don't want to list my father on on the notice of intended marriage. So what was I supposed to do? And I emailed the Attorney General's Department and I said, you know, what should she have done? And they said she should not have accepted the norm and therefore not married them. Now, that to me opens a big can of worms because if you went back to that couple and said, I'm not going to accept the norm because you've told me that it's defective, they're just going to go to the next celebrant and lie and say there's nobody listed as my father on my birth certificate. So it is, it's a really yeah. tricky one. Yeah. One last thing before we wrap up the podcast for this week, uh, because I know you've done some um, some research on it, and it's also another important question. I figured we haven't done a podcast, so I also want to drag this one out just for a few more seconds. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about who can witness a notice of intent? Uh, because you're still fielding a lot of these questions personally, but also when you teach OPD. And uh, and th- I know that there's some miscommunication about all things notice of intent. It's like, oh, is that one month? Is it 30 days? That's the joke we always make. But the one we don't always make because it's more of a gray area. What's this? No, it's not a gray area. It's just a gray area in many celebrants' minds is who can witness a notice of intent. The signatures on a norm. So first of all, Josh, it's actually called a notice of intended marriage. Not a well, like in in so, like celebrant podcast language, we shorten <laughs> it a little bit because we're cool with that. Well, <laughs> if we're going to talk about these things, we need to give them the correct titles. So it's a notice of intended marriage. Moving along. So a question that I get almost, I reckon, minimum once a week: Can a pharmacist witness this signature on a norm? No. The simple answer is no. So you'll know that on your notice, underneath the signature panels, there are there's an A and B. It says, this notice must be signed in the presence of any of the following. If the party signs the notice in Australia, they can sign in front of a celebrant, a commissioner for declarations under the Stat Dex Act 1959, a justice of the peace, a barrister or solicitor, a member of the Australian Federal Police or the police force for state or territory, or a legally qualified medical practitioner. Now, legally qualified medical practitioner is the tricky one here and it's the one that everybody struggles with because the general public doesn't know the difference between a medical practitioner and an allied health practitioner. So let's start off with what is a legally qualified medical practitioner. It is anybody who is qualified to practice medicine and they are registered by the Medical Board of Australia. So I today, because I'm a nerd, went onto the Medical Board of Australia website and downloaded a list of all the medical specialties that they register people as. It's a long list. There's like four pages and we're going to put it up on the website and on the Facebook page for people to have a look at. 
But basically, it's got things like general practitioner, surgeon, ophthalmologist, radiologist, um, gastroenterologist, yada, yada. It's got every single specialty. If a person's qualification under legally qualified medical practitioner is not on that list, they can't witness a norm. So what's not on that list? Pharmacist, physiotherapist, chiropractor, nurse, dentist. Dentists are not medical practitioners, they're dental practitioners. Physios, chiros, nurses, uh, pharmacists, they are allied health practitioners. They're registered by the Australian Health Practitioners Registration Association or agency, um, but they're allied health, not medical. So dentists can't. Now, there's a few tricky things here, though. So an optometrist is an allied health practitioner. An ophthalmologist is a medical practitioner. They both look at eyes. You'd think they're the same, but they're not. One has a medical degree. One has an optometry degree. A radiologist is a doctor who looks at scans and does ultrasounds and, you know, interprets them. A radiographer or a sonographer is the person who actually makes the x-ray, does the x-ray, does the scan. So not the, not the same thing. Uh, a psychologist is an allied health practitioner. A psychiatrist is a medical practitioner. A psychiatrist has a medical degree and can uh, prescribe medication. A psychologist has generally an applied science or a psychology degree. So there are terms that sound similar and that people can get a bit confused about because they go, oh, well, it's an optometrist. Like they, you know, prescribe glasses and no, they're not a medical practitioner. So if they're not on the list from the Medical Board of Australia, they can't sign. The other one that can't sign is a vet. This is legally qualified medical practitioner for people, not a medical practitioner for animals. So a vet can't sign because they're not a medical practitioner. They're a veterinarian practitioner. And dentists are also a tricky one because some dentists are also surgeons. They have both a dental degree and a, a Bachelor of Medicine and Bachelor of Surgery, and they're, they've got dual registration. They're registered as uh, under the dental board and also under the medical board. So dental surgeons can sign, regular dentists can't sign. So I know that this is a lot of information to hold in your head, but I hoped that downloading the list of specialists that can be registered by the Medical Board of Australia would be useful because you can look at that list and go, is my qualification on it? Yes, they are. Great, they can witness. No, they're not. No, they can't witness. Or just do what I do and say, get a JP to witness it. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> yes, and in Victoria, we tend to say that people go to the police station because JPs are a little less easy to come across in Victoria than they are in Why? Sun, New South Why Wales. are they hard? I don't, I don't, well, I, I don't, there just seem to be more, less of them or I don't know what the situation is, but it's much easier just to go to the police station here. That's so weird. And I know that in Queensland, like JPs hang out at the shopping centre and is stuff. Is that not a thing in Victoria? I've never seen that here. That is so weird. I've never seen that. So I don't I don't know if it's just that I've been walking around with my eyes closed, but I did work at shopping centres for a long time and I've never seen a JP hanging out. So I think because of that, it's just easy to go to a police station. I'm just currently mind blown by this whole situation. <laughs> You've learned something new yeah. today. Yeah. 
And and let's remember that that list of people we just talked about is for if the notice is signed in Australia. If it is signed outside Australia, there's a whole other different list. We're not going to talk about that today, uh, but that's also written on the notice. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, Sarah, is there anything else you want to talk about in today's podcast? Like, I, I feel like we've talked about a lot, but then I also feel like we haven't talked we about have. a lot. We have. I know we've got this massive list of topics. We will get to it one day. We'll talk about, um, I don't want to talk about marriage regulations today because it's hurting my head a little bit. So we'll talk about that next time. Uh, but definitely keep your eyes out. There are, you know, things happening all around the place. She says so excitedly. <laughs> It's been good. It's been lovely chatting as always, Josh. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to get on the uh, get on the phone and do a bit of a podcast with you, Sarah. And, and with any luck, the next one won't be forever away. I've just been travelling so much. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's all good. We just know that to blame you. It's yeah, no, look, I'm so sorry. The free podcast you listened to took a little bit to get to you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's totally fine. People miss it. They really love oh, it. That's nice. So it's totally fine. All good. Um, and as Josh, as we've talked about before, you can always contact us on hello at celebrant.fm. All of the podcast episodes you can find in your podcast app or on at just at celebrant.fm, the website. Remember, we have a shop with some downloads uh, that we'll be adding to slowly and surely. Uh, and please let us know if there's anything you'd like us to talk about. Have an amazing week, Sarah. See you soon. Until next time.